From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you Unconquered with Doc Staples. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by EPR Creations, by Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, by Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, by Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, and by my newest advertising partner, Justin Galloway of Benchmark Mortgage. As always, information's in the show notes. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast with Doc Staples. All right, everybody. The time of the week has come for a uh, a preview of this weekend's game. And uh, Florida State is going to be playing North Alabama in Doak. And uh, despite FSU being ranked fourth in the latest college football playoff, being 10-0, the quality of opponent is so low that this game will get the CW treatment. So that should tell you kind of how much we really need to spend on this game as a, uh, as a preview. So uh, yeah, <laughs> this is uh this is obviously an F- FCS team. And honestly, um, this is not an especially good FCS team. So uh, North Alabama is three and seven and they're one and five in their own conference. And yeah, they let's just cut to the chase. They've got a, they've got a decent quarterback who can run, run a little bit. And then they've got one wide receiver uh, to carry Kennebrew. Uh, I think you call it. I think that's how you pronounce his name to Uh But yeah, the quarterback, if you go back and you, you look through some stuff, I, I went through some of the Chattanooga game, but really didn't want to spend too much time on this, but uh, the quarterback can move and he, and he throws it pretty well. But he's not uh, he's he's not going to be on the you know toward the top of the list of quarterbacks FSU has faced, and they don't have a whole lot up front. Uh, give up a, a lot of um, a lot of pressure, uh, and yeah, that this is this is going to be a game where he's going to be running for his life a good bit against Florida State. So, and and again, a guy that's that's mobile can escape pressure well, but he's going to have to be very very cautious about how he handles this. And honestly, if I'm that coaching staff, I'm telling him to protect himself <laughs> quite a bit in this game. Uh, Canterbury, the, the wide receiver, is 6'2 and uh, about 190 pounds. And he's a legit player. He could he could play in the Power 5, I think, somewhere. Um, I'm not sure he would be more than a number 2 on any team in the ACC, say. I think he's probably a number 3 on some of the kind of mediocre teams in the ACC. But he's he's a he's a guy that could play FBS FBS football and he, he's going to get some looks uh, for some postseason stuff. I would expect he's had a pretty good year and he's the one guy you've got to worry about it. The one guy that could make, make some time, make some, uh, uh, make some things happen in, in terms of a big player too. But again, he's going to be going against by far the best set of defensive backs that he's played all season and probably in his career because they've not actually played a power five team this, uh, this millennium, I think. Um, so yeah, it's, um, this is a game where t- to be quite honest, this is about Florida state and it's about getting healthy. And if I were Mike Norvell in this game, I'm honestly given the, the state of health, of this Florida state team right now. And this team has played a lot of very physical football games 
to this stage of the season, a lot of people don't realize how difficult Florida State's schedule has been up to now. It's been a tough schedule, and not just because of teams that are that are good teams. There have been some good teams on the schedule, but it's been a lot of physical teams and a lot of teams that play physical football. And yeah, that's that's led to some guys being banged up at this point. And to be totally honest, this is a game where I would very strongly consider sitting a number of guys, not just early, but maybe for the for the game. I mean, I would very strongly consider just having just starting Tate Rodemaker in this game. Maybe have Jordan Travis warm up, something like that. But I'm not sure I'd have Jordan Travis take a snap in this game. I'm just not sure what you get out of it. What what more do, does Jordan Travis or Keon Coleman or Johnny Wilson get out of this game? than they do out of out of a you know a, a hard practice. Honestly, I, I just don't I mean aside from maybe some of the conditioning of being in the game, and you know, I think you could kind of approach that the way that that professional soccer teams do, where you, you know, you have some guys do some conditioning that day and that's it. You know, the game ends and then those guys stick around for a little bit of conditioning and treatment and then they're done. But this is a game where if I'm being totally honest here, I'm I'm very strongly considering sitting Jordan Travis for this entire game. Like, like I said, I, I just don't know what, what more he gets out of this game. If, if, if he plays and the, the risk of something. And I mean, he already, he's already banged up. I mean, uh, he, let's just say Miami, Miami's not, Miami has some players who uh, are not the cleanest in the world when it comes to, you know, handling themselves in piles and things like that. And I think the extra extra time of rest is worth is worth a lot more to this team for somebody like Jordan Travis, who's just too important for what you do. He's too good a player. He's too important for this offense to put him at risk in, in, in for anything in this game. And I think you get a lot out of getting to see what Tate Rodemaker, and I think you try to play all three quarterbacks in this game. I think you get a lot out of seeing what some of the young guys can do. And I think that's good for psychology. That's good for a lot of different things in terms of some of these guys who've not played very much. But I honestly, I would very strongly consider sitting Jordan Travis to start Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson, any offensive lineman who's who's banged up right now. And that's several of them. Get them get them basically out of this game. Uh I mean, if you really feel like the offensive line needs a couple drives, fine. But, but I don't want to see any of those guys in the second half. I don't want to see any of those guys certainly pass the first drive of the second half. But I think a lot of the offensive line, you don't even put them out there. You've got a second group that can blow this team out. And if you can't do that with your second group, that's real concerning. <laughs> but maybe, you know, if you want to be, if you want to take the risk out of it, you have everybody dress. I think you have everybody dress. But you sit everybody. And if that second group isn't doing their job, then you take the first group and you stick them out there, you know, second quarter or something like that. And you take care of their take care of business. But I mean, some people might say that's disrespectful. Some people might say that that's not, you know, how you, you know, play this game. Look, if I'm Mike Norvell, I'm here in this game. Yes, I'm here to win the game. I'm here to win this game. But right now, my goals are a lot bigger. And my goals are to go down to Gainesville and win that game. 
And that's going to be a physical game. You know that's going to be a war. Florida's not a really good football team this year, but they're a talented team, and they're going to play up to Florida State. It's Florida, Florida State. So for, for my money, I don't want to see I don't want to see Jordan Travis. I don't want to see Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson. I'm fine with uh, with let with uh, Bell with JV with uh, JV on Bell being out. I'm fine with Benson taking the day off. I'm good with uh, Bless Harris verse uh, Fabian Walker, Farmer, Tatum Bethune, Renardo, Renardo Green, uh, Fisk. I'm fine with every one of those players not playing a snap in this game. And I'm serious. I, I'm. I just don't see what you get out of it. And I'm. I think. I think. Everybody involved in this game knows that if Florida State plays its second team, they'll still win this game. They should still win this game by twenty-eight to fifty points. And to me, you you play uh, Hussey, for example, the the entire game basically at safety. Let him continue to get comfortable in what you're asking him to do. Play all three quarterbacks. And, you know, that doesn't hurt your player development. (laughs) Right? You've got guys that are excited to be in there who haven't played as much in recent weeks. And they're getting a chance to actually go out and do do what they need to do. And you're getting a chance then to coach them on Monday. Getting a chance to coach them in the game. And I, I think... As many guys, as many young guys as have not played as often. So you're looking at, you know, uh, Vandravius Jacobs. You're looking at Hakeem Williams, if, if at all possible, if, if he's available. Uh, you know, Goldie Lawrence. Guys that have not played a ton. And, you know, let, let Hill and, uh, and Kaziah Holmes carry the, carry the load in the, in the, in the backfield. I just think this is one of those games where basically all of your your crit, most critical players, those guys start the start the game on the bench, and they don't come off the bench unless you feel like something has gone wrong and you need them. That's where this game goes. And yeah, I mean that's that's what I would do if I'm Mike Norvell. And like I said, some people would pr- potentially criticize about that, like you know you're you're not showing respect. But I mean. Do you really want the extra wear and tear on Tatum Methuen going into Florida? And knowing that after Florida, you've got a really physical Louisville team coming into coming into that that ACC championship game. So, yeah, to me, that's that's what you do. I don't think there's a whole lot of reason not to do it, and I don't know that there's a whole lot more to break down in this game. But to me, that's the sooner you get your your starters and especially your key players off the field in this one, the, the better the win this is <laughs> for your football team and for your program. And that means some of them just starting on the bench. Now I do have some time then to discuss some question and answer stuff and some things that have come up. Uh, one of the benefits of doing some, uh, <laughs> some film breakdowns and things again is that I'm, I'm getting comments on, uh, on YouTube and other places for this, uh, <laughs> including some by, uh, by, uh, people who are fans of, uh, AU and, um, people who like, uh, Miami of Florida, apparently. And, uh, let's take a look at this one. Uh, this should be called fanboy film breakdown, totally bias. Apparently 
doesn't understand that biased has a ed on the end biased good work and um, of course my response to that was well when one team dominates another it's hard to make the review sound unbiased now this one's good says, come on, it was a good win, not a dominant win. Canes outrushed my FSU by 80 yards. It was the penalties and the non-safety call. Miami, definitely more physical. FSU is just better. (laughs) Oh, man. I just love how Miami of Florida fans, (laughs) first of all, they're, they're internet fans, right? Because Miami of Florida doesn't have real fans. I love how Miami of Florida fans managed to sustain such impossible levels of optimism. Basically 51 weeks out of the year. They're already, they're already on their way to their 23rd consecutive offseason title. They're already off and running about that, about how they've closed the gap with Florida State. (laughs) When, if you look at the talent differential on the team, I think in the 24-7 composite, you know, the the talent rank, rankings there. If I remember right, Miami's number nine and Florida State's like number 20 this year. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess the gap is narrowing, just not in the direction that these folks think. And, uh, yeah, the fact of the matter is when you when I went back through this, through that Miami game. <laughs> it was evident that Florida State was was dominant in that game. And and the numbers bear this out. I mean, the lowest win expectancy that Florida State had in that game, the win, lowest win probability in the game was 63.7%. The average win probability in that game was over 80% for Florida State. That's a dominant win. The numbers are very clear. Florida State was a dominant, they, they controlled that game. And Miami was really fortunate to keep the score as close as they did with a misplayed ball by a safety so bad that it looked, I mean, looked almost like point shaving. I'm not I'm not alleging point shaving. I'm just saying it was a bad play. But it was a bad play. And without that play, that game's never within 14 points after the, you know, first drive of the uh after the mid mid third quarter. It was not a close game. It was a physical game for sure. But when you go back and you look at this, Florida State, you know, a lot of people th- thought that Florida State lost the battle in the trenches. They didn't lose the battle in the trenches. They they were they played against a team that that was close to their equal in the trenches. But you go back through this, Florida State controlled the game even in the trenches. There were times where they they had some breakdowns and Miami got some rushing yards especially toward the end of the second quarter. But through the second half, Florida State dominated the, the line of scrimmage on the on the defensive side. Miami couldn't move the football at all in the second half. And in the on the offensive side, Florida State was able to create some running room when they needed to. And Jordan Travis didn't get pressured a whole lot. There were a couple, there were a couple misses by Florida State up front, but they did not get overpowered. They did not get run over by Miami's front. FSU held their own on the offensive line side and FSU dominated the other side of the line of scrimmage with their defensive line through most of the game. No, it wasn't as dominant as they've been against some other teams that don't have the, the talent that Miami does, but it was pretty evident when when I went back through that FSU handled things pretty darn well. Now I did get some questions about why Florida State didn't, you know, run Jordan Travis more in this game. Honestly, I don't think they needed to. And and really the way that they've treated that this year is they're running Jordan Travis as a trump card. That's the that's the card you pull out when the other team shows okay, like yeah, they can stop us without that. 
you, you look at the second at the fourth quarter against Duke. That's when they, that's when they, you know, sort of unveiled the full offense and said, okay, fine. You know what? Let's just, let's deal with this. And then all of a sudden <laughs> the offense started humming in a way that it hasn't really since, since, uh, since the LSU game. And yeah, they're, they're not going to, they're not going to break Jordan Travis out to do that when they're winning, when they're up by 14 in the second half, why would you do that? The best thing you can do is just continue to keep that guy upright and healthy and give yourself a chance. The further you advance in the season, because he's banged up. Let's be honest. He is banged up. So yeah, anyway, um, yeah, so that's always fun to get the, get those kind of comments, but, uh, anyhow, uh, there were some other questions that came in as well. One was, uh, on the blown coverage that led to the Miami touchdown Cypress was playing press, but he didn't jam the receiver. Why play press and not jam? Honest question. I don't know a lot about how that works. And it's a really good question. Uh, the main thing here is that, that Cypress is playing what's called mirror technique off the, off the line of scrimmage. And this is a very common technique. It, at, at every level, at every level where you've got press coverage taught. And the whole design there is to take a leverage position. So he's got inside leverage there. And you're essentially defending your leverage. If he wants to cross your face, if he's going to try to take away, if he's going to try to cross your face in that leverage, then you're there and you're going to block him off from that. And then he may get jammed. But if he wants to take the outside release, if he wants to take that, then that's fine. You're willing to give that to him and you're not going to lunge or do anything to reach out and, and jam him if he goes the direction that you want him to go because lunging and all of that puts you in position where you could you could miss you can get off balance he could use that as a way to to turn you in a way that is going to take away your leverage so what you do is you mirror him while maintaining your leverage and forcing him into the release that you want and if he's going to take that outside release, then as he does that, you just squeeze him from a position on his hip. A lot of times trying to stay just over top of him. Now, given the uh, all, all the increase of back shoulder throws, you're seeing guys more on the hip rather than over the top of the hip as often as not. But basically, you want to squeeze him then to the sideline and you want to, you want to shrink the area that the quarterback can throw to and you're minimizing how many different route options he's got. So that's the basic idea. And then essentially, if you squeeze him correctly, all he's got is a vertical of some sort, and it could be, you know, kind of stop and go. It could be a, you know, stutter, go that sort of thing. It could be a comeback could be something along those lines. But if you're squeezing him correctly, you're not even going to have a real out, out route possibility because it's so, so thin out there. So essentially you're running a, a go route, a back shoulder or a comeback. And you can cover those three from that position pretty well. And you're just trying to trying to make it so that the quarterback and receiver are going to have to be perfect to beat you on something where you're already in position to potentially take it away on the hip and you just stay there. That's that's the design. And actually, Cypress was in pretty good position there. If it hadn't been for for Knowles coming over the top and taking Cypress out, at worst, you probably have a you know 30 or 40 yard completion. 35, 40 yard, but Knowles took a bad angle and then realized at the last instant, like, oh shoot, I'm going to take my own guy out instead of getting, getting football. And then you could see, he's just trying to jump out of the way 
and still manages to take his own guy out. And then, you know, that, that, that all led to a long touchdown, very fluky, long touchdown. So yeah, anyway, that, um, that's, that's the reason that, that you see that. And you're going to see that a lot. It's, it's all about protecting and preserving your leverage. So you're only going to jam essentially if he tries to cross your face, if he tries to take away and go where your leverage, where, what, what, where you're defending, uh, you're willing to let him go somewhere else. And the kind of technique that you're using is similar to the kind of technique that you teach for defending a, defending a, a, an on the ball in basketball. That's the, the basic kind of footwork you, you, uh, you're, most modern defensive backs coaches are going to teach a kind of almost shuffle out of that. Uh, there's a little bit of a, you can slow pedal it a little bit, but generally it's a little bit of a shuffle and you're just trying to stay in your mirror position, maintaining your leverage, wherever your leverage is, you're pretending almost that that's the basketball goal and you're trying to prevent somebody from crossing you over and being able to get to the cup. And that's basically it. So just like in basketball, you're not going to, body a guy up if he's deciding to stay outside and go where you want him to go you just kind of steer him there uh but if he's gonna try to go through you then you're gonna take that charge that's kind of how this works for for that kind of press coverage so yeah um beyond that uh another another question that i got and i think this one's worth spending a little bit of time on has to do with the offensive line and sort of where florida state is on that front so let me go ahead and get this one up Okay, so this one came from Noah, and he said, uh, offensive line, it's a problem. Doc, it seems like Bless Harris, Mo Smith, and Rob Scott are perpetually injured. It just seems each year we lose key offensive linemen. Do you feel there's enough focus on injury prevention? Is it just bad luck? Are other programs similar with offensive linemen? Imagine if Norvell had Michigan's offensive line. The offensive line to me is what prevents FSU from competing for in the national championship. Any of the other three of the team's defensive lines would mail uh, this offensive line and make any sustained offense basically impossible. So first of all, I'm going to take a look at that last part because I don't think that's necessarily true. So... For one thing, I'm, I think a lot of people are underestimating how good the, off, the, the defensive lines Florida State has already faced are this season. And I think people also are under, underrating how good LSU was in that opener as well. People forget how good that LSU team was. Because again, Florida State didn't play the same L- LSU team that Alabama did. Alabama didn't have to play against Wingo on the inside, who's been LSU's best player on defense not actually Perkins and not uh, Mason Smith. Mason Smith hasn't been all that effective this year, but Wingo was, uh, was really, really good. And he was really good against Florida State. And Clemson, defensive line, pretty good. Miami's defensive line, Miami of Florida's defensive line was excellent, especially for an FCS team. Duke's defensive line, and I know people will go, oh, it's Duke. No, Duke's defensive line is very good. And Florida State handled all those teams fine. Now, are any of those teams Georgia? No, nobody, nobody else is. You know, are any of those teams Alabama? No. But I'm not really convinced that, say, Michigan or Ohio State's defensive lines are that much better than what Miami of Florida's was. So, you know, if you, you could handle that defensive front, I think you can, you can at least hold your own enough against most of those teams in the, in the playoff to, to give yourself scoring opportunities. And that's especially true given Mike Norvell and his ability to scheme up all sorts of stuff up front. That's one of the things that he's really creative with is being able to to scheme 
seems in the running game to scheme up protection, do all of that. He's really, really good on the protection side and on the finding ways to create creative yards in the running game. They'll find ways against these better defensive lines to, to find some yardage. Now, by the way, the other in terms of others, I think Texas has a defensive line that would give Florida State trouble, just like Georgia and, and Alabama. But Washington does not have that kind of defensive line. Oregon's is decent. It's pretty good. But, you know, I think Florida State goes against better defensive lines in practice every day than all but about three or four teams in the country. And I think that I think they'll do fine against most of those teams and they'll be able to produce offense even even against some of the best defensive lines in the country. And I think they've already done that against several of the teams that have outstanding defensive lines. So that said, I do think it's it's true that Florida State has a really banged up offensive line right now. And it's true that they were not as effective, say, against Miami or or Duke or even Clemson or LSU as they would be if they had found a way to be full strength all season. But they haven't been full strength all season. I mean, Robert Scott has not been healthy since camp. I mean, he he wasn't even healthy in camp. And yeah, bless Harris, Maurice Smith, Robert Scott, even Darius Washington, they've had injury problems. It does seem like, you know, at least three of those guys seem perpetually injured and uh, they've had injuries multiple years. And yeah, it has been a, a consistent problem that Florida State's had a lot of those injuries. Now, I don't think that this is a problem in terms of injury prevention or focus the, on that. It's not just bad luck. And no, it's not how every other program is in terms of offensive linemen. It's mostly a consequence of young guys having to play before they're fully developed and ready to handle a power five workload. If you think about this, Robert Scott, Maurice Smith, Darius Washington, they all had to play as freshmen. And these are not, you know, Evan Neal types where they came in as a, as a freshman where they're grown men at 18 years old and a little bit more prepared. But even Evan Neal after playing early, you know, didn't develop quite as well as what you'd, you'd hope. And he got banged up a little bit. The, the thing is, it, it's hard for me to overstate how physical and how much of a grind this level of football is. And how important, how imperative it is that young offensive linemen are become armored up and develop physically first, but also in terms of technique to avoid getting hurt. And honestly, I see this over and over again, not just at Florida State, but wherever you see young guys having to play as true freshmen and to a lesser extent as you know true sophomores, second year guys. But when you see guys playing in their first year in programs, you can pretty much count on those guys getting hurt at some point. And then that's going to impact their overall development because, because let's say you, you, one of the most common things that happens with young players is just due to the lack of, of development and lack of, of armor that you put on in the off season in those early years of development is you guys, you get guys that tear up their shoulder. Okay. So you tear up your shoulder 
Well, what has what happens at that point? Let's say you tear up your shoulder in like game 10. All right, so now you're going to have shoulder surgery toward the end of the season. What's what's your offseason going to look like now? Well, January, you're starting to really rehab that surgerized, that surgically repaired shoulder. And during January, you know what you're not doing? You're not training and developing the armor that you lacked when you came in. You're rehabbing that shoulder. You know what you're doing in February? You're still rehabbing that shoulder and you're, you're, you're now two months behind in the training process of armoring up to be ready to play at this level. By the time you get to April, or let's say you get to March, March, you're starting to get lighter weights and you're starting to finally move, move into all of that. And then April starts and you're in spring ball. So you're kind of, you're back out there, but you're in a, in a green Jersey. You're not really able to go out there and and do the work that you need to do to continue to refine your technique and all of that. And you're starting to, you're starting to hit second phase of your rehab. And then you basically only get the summer months. If, if you're lucky, by the way, this is presuming that, you know, the, the recovery has gone pretty quickly. You only get a few, a few months in the summer to, to start armoring up. And then you start over again as a sophomore and you're three, four, five months, sometimes six months behind because of the rehab that you had to do. And then you know what happens as sophomore? Because you're still behind in terms of your physical development, you get hurt again. You're compensating for some of that stuff that, that happened before. And, well, you've got other issues in terms of, uh, of getting banged up on, you know, uh, in, in other areas where you weren't able to train as, as heavily. And so by the time you get to be a third-year player or fourth-year player, You've been hurt three or four times, and each time you're hurt, it throws your development that much further behind. All because you got you had to you got forced into action too early. This is why if I had a son who was an offensive line prospect and it was and was a really good one who might be able to play early somewhere, I would be doing everything I could to try to persuade my son to go somewhere where he was not needed to play right away. I'd want to go somewhere where Essentially, he'd get an opportunity to sit for two to three years while he's developing, while he's in the weight room during the season. You know, the thing about red shirts, the thing about guys that are playing, you know, maybe three games in, in a given season and then red shirting and they're playing scout team. Thing about that is they're doing hardcore in-season training to continue to armor up. So not only if you play early as a freshman, are you missing out? on the, you know, say three to six months of off-season conditioning and, and, and strength training because you're rehabbing, you also don't get the in-season training that the, that the red shirts are getting because you're in the in-season training for players who are playing, which means you can't go as hard in the weight room. So really, you're like nine months behind in terms of development compared to a guy that red shirts. And, and that's just huge. So, and that happened... That happened to Landon Dickerson. That happened to that, that's happened to Florida State offensive linemen going back to like 2014, where over and over and over again they'd recruit four-star offensive linemen. That guy would ha- would be forced to play early, and then he'd get banged up, and then he's all of a sudden seven nine months behind, going into second year, gets banged up again. Now he's 
18 months behind where he would have been if he didn't have to play those first couple years. And each time he keeps getting hurt. And that's happened to offensive linemen at Florida State for a decade. This is why it's so it's been so important that Florida State has done so well in the in the transfer portal to be able to bring in guys like Emmanuel, like Byers, like Keandre Jones, Bless Harris. Guys who could step in and allow them to develop the guys that were higher higher profile guys out of high school but we're not ready to play as true freshmen or as true sophomores. And then next year, you're going to finally start to see some of those guys who were in, who are now in position to be legitimate contributors. Who've now had two years to fully develop up or three years, four years in some cases, but you look at a Julian Armella, Next year is the year where you'd ideally want him to start contributing serious repetitions. Jalen Early, next year is the year where ideally, after a couple years of armoring up, now going into year three, he's ready to start getting some reps. Maybe not ready to be a full, full-fledged starter, but ready to be in the rotation and to continue to develop. Florida State is finally in position to break the cycle of recruit a young offensive lineman, young offensive lineman, because you're so thin at offensive line, young offensive lineman has to play early, forced into duty early, young offensive lineman isn't ready for early duty, so he gets banged up. That getting banged up throws him you know, eight, nine months behind in terms of his physical development, also costs him in terms of, of technique development because he misses time. And then you go into season two and rinse and repeat. And then by the, by the time you're looking at seasons three or season three or four, the guy's either medically redshirted or he's just not developed the way that you would have hoped when he first was recruited. That's been the cycle. Florida State is finally in position to break that cycle next year. Because finally, you're going to be in a position where you're going to have a third year Julian Armella, a third year Jalen Early, a fourth year uh, you know, Thomas Schrader or somebody like that, a fourth year Bryson Estes, a, you know, maybe a second year Andre Otto. I thought maybe he would, he might be a year ahead in terms of his development coming out, but you know, a, a, a third year, uh, Kaniya Charlton, depending on how he develops a third year, Daughtry Richardson, a, a, uh, you know, fourth year, a fifth year, Darius Washington, or is he going to be a sixth year? You know, a few of these older guys are going to stick around as well. You know, a, a fifth year, Robert Scott, second year, Lucas Simmons. You're finally looking at, at opportunities where you're not demanding. You're not needing young guys to come in and play and get hurt. And yeah, you say, OK, well, bless Harris. What about him? You're looking at a guy who came in after what he was a third year player when he came in out of out of FCS. He didn't get developed there. He came in and was a little ahead of where a true freshman would be, but he still, you know, if you looked at him physically, it was potential, but he did not have the armor that you're seeing on the GAMs, the grown men that come in and are, you know, 22 years old or 21 years old and have been in a college FBS weight program along with the college FBS 
nutrition program for three or four years. He wasn't that. And then what happened? He tore his shoulder up. This is what happens. That's where Florida State's been. That's been a huge issue for them. And it's not going to be an issue, I don't think, after this year. You're not going to see some of those guys that were recruited really heavily just not pan out because they got banged up when they were younger. And again, guys like Scott and Washington and Smith, to a lesser degree, bless Harris, these are guys that got banged up because they they were asked to play at this level to go through that grind without really being armored up and, and equipped for it. And they're not going to have to do that a bunch now. I mean, next year, you're looking at the at a starting lineup, probably, of Robert Scott, Jalen Early, Darius Washington, Marie Smith, and Jeremiah Byers, or something like that. Or, you know, let, let's try that again. Uh, maybe Robert Scott on the left side, uh, Byers at left guard, Marie Smith at center, maybe. Uh you know, you've got Keandre Jones, you've got Darius Washington, you've got Jalen Early. All of those guys could play in there. You've got Julian Armella at right tackle, maybe a Jalen Early at right tackle. You've got options there. And some of those guys are, are some of the younger guys now. And some of those guys are older guys that, you know, again, if Washington and Smith are able to get through the rest of this year and Robert Scott's able to get healthy over the offseason, you're going to get guys that are finally going to be, you know, late in their career and be ready to ready to go after having finally gotten some development late in their career. So that that's huge. But again, I think they can, they they'll be able to, to play against some of the best defensive lines, even in the playoff, partly because Norvell does such a great job scheming that up partly because they're going to, no matter who they play, those teams are going to have a hard time dealing with Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson and Jaheim Bell and, you know, some of the, some of those, some of the freaks. And so that's going to open up the box still some, and then you combine that with some, with some, uh, some scheme and they'll find ways to, to be able to, to do some things up front enough to be a real threat, to have a puncher's chance in any of those games and maybe more than a puncher's chance. Other thing you got to remember is as banged up as this Florida state offensive line is, they're going to be a lot less banged up if they're able to make it to the playoff because they're going to get, some some time to recuperate and spend some time in the training. So, you know, that's, they just have to get through the next three weeks. They got to get through the University of Florida. And then they got to get through the ACC championship game. You get through those two weeks, you survive those two weeks and you get to the training room and you get a lot healthier up front. And all of a sudden this looks like a much more dangerous team because they're healthier going into some of the, you know, the best defensive lines that they played. Oh, and by the way, they're going to get Daryl Jackson. Florida State's defensive line gets a, a whole a whole new lease on life when Daryl Jackson gets added to that rotation. And they're going to get Dennis Briggs back. Folks have forgotten Dennis Briggs hasn't even played the last few weeks. He's been banged up. So you go into the playoff, and you know Florida State's been weakest stopping the run compared to certain other things this year. I mean, they've been dominant against the pass where they've had their weaker area has been against the run. All of a sudden you add Daryl Jackson to that defensive tackle rotation. <laughs> now your defensive tackle rotation is Fisk farmer Jackson and love it as your first four. And then you're rotating in Dennis Briggs. Uh, 
yeah, that that's going to be a much harder, that's going to be a much more difficult team to run on for some of the teams that, that the question mentioned than, than you'd think. I mean, Michigan is not going to just be able to line up and push Daryl Jackson, Fabian Lovett, Joshua Farmer, and, and Braden Fisk off the ball. FSU will be able to match up player for player up front with some of those guys. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to win that game if, they, if that game's played. But it does mean that they, that they are going to have the personnel to be able to hang with those teams. That's the thing you got to remember. This Florida State team, as banged up as they are right now, if they survive and get into the playoff, they're going to be that much more dangerous once they get to the playoff because you're going to have a healthy Johnny Wilson, a healthy Keon Coleman, a much healthier Jordan Travis, much healthier on the offensive line, might even be able to get the offensive line that you wanted to start the season with by that point. And then you're getting Daryl Jackson back on the interior. And nobody's seen this defense with Daryl Jackson, and it's going to be a revelation. That, by the way, Brings us back to how I started the show. That's why in this game against North Alabama, what do you do? If there's a player who's not 80% or better in terms of how he's, how he's feeling in terms of, of physical health, you hold him out if he's an important player. And if he's one of your top guys, one of your true, really important guys, Jordan Travis, Johnny Wilson, Trey Benson, Keon Coleman, maybe throw Jaheim Bell in there couple of the offensive linemen, Fisk, Lovett, Farmer, Bethune, maybe Renardo Green, Akeem Dent. Some of these guys, Jared Verse, you, you, you look at those guys and you go, you know what? You take the week off. You're not even starting this game. That's why. It's a banged up team. You just need to get through the two weeks following this. And then all of a sudden you were a really dangerous football team against teams that are not going to want to play against what you're putting out on the field with some of the freaks. And then you got a chance. No, you're not as talented top to bottom as Alabama or, or Georgia or Michigan or Ohio State. You're not. But out of those teams, only Ohio State has anybody like Keon Coleman. And they don't have a Jordan Travis. And they don't have a Johnny Wilson to go with Keon Coleman. And, you know, when you put Daryl Jackson out there, Florida State, in terms of defensive line, is on par, on par. Their parity with, say, Ohio State and Michigan, I think. I think Georgia and Alabama still probably uh, probably hold the edge there, but not by a ton. Not with, Ver- you know, you put just starter for starter, Peyton versus Daryl Jackson, Joshua Farmer out there, or add Braden Fisk and Fabian Lovett in terms of that rotation, you know, even even Alabama and, and and Georgia are not miles ahead of that group. They do have better edges for you know number two edge. They've got some backers that you you trade for. Definitely better at the safety position. But in terms of some of the some of these guys, these guys these guys are guys that you can compete for a real national title with. Just got to get healthy. Once you get past the ACC title game, and that means getting through the next three weeks. And that means you got to be healthy coming out of the as healthy as possible coming out of the North Alabama game and going into the going into Gainesville. And that'll do it for us here. I'll talk to you guys at some point after the North Alabama game. I will be 
out of town at a uh, at one of my at the at a professional conference for my other job. There's a um, major review panel of the book that I uh, have getting. It's officially coming out. Its official release date is uh, November 23rd, and there is an international book panel uh, reviewing that book. It's a, actually kind of a big deal to go all Anchorman on this that I'll be doing uh, out there this weekend. Uh, and that, that review panels, what Monday morning. So, uh, when I actually get the, anything in after North Alabama, I'm not sure I may not come immediately after that game. Hot takes may be a little cooler and, uh, probably won't get the Florida, get to turn to do some Florida stuff until, uh, until around midweek. But, uh, until then, until the next time I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts and wherever else you listen to podcasts, post and repost episodes on social media, and tell a friend. And if you haven't left a review in a while, do it again. It really does help the visibility of the podcast. Before we go, I'd also like to thank my advertising partners once more. That's EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, and Justin Galloway of Benchmark Mortgage, serving Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, and Kentucky. You can also stop by the Unconquered shop at unconqueredpodcast.com where you can buy stickers, pins, magnets, t-shirts, and other swag. And thanks also to all those supporters over at Patreon where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast. I am especially grateful to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Neil Cook, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Dave Blair, Hector Cartagena, Jack Horton, Jimmy Van, Jonathan Kennedy, Keith Cheney, Lee Caswell, Tyler Kashishke, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. You all are far more generous than I deserve. I'm really grateful. Thanks to you all. This has been Unconquered with Doc Staples. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. I made this.